topic tonight is out of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, technically chapter 26, 27, and 28, but mostly in chapter 28, regarding Lucifer and Israel. So starting in chapter 26, verse 1, in the eleventh year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, aha, she is broken, she is laid waste. Okay, so this takes place after Nebuchadnezzar has come, destroyed Jerusalem, taken the majority of the people captive, back to Babylon with him. And, uh, and so Tyre, looking down at this in the 11th year of the uh, captivity of, of Ezekiel, is saying, he's laughing. He's laughing at Jerusalem. Ah, look, it's broken down. Uh, this is what they deserve. Look, it's laid waste. Therefore, verse 3, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and I will cause many nations to come up against you. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will make you a desolate city. I will bring you down with those who descend into the pit. So because Tyre laughed at Jerusalem, laughed at God's people, God says, I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to bring nations against you. And as you so desired, so it will happen unto you. So very dangerous how we think, how we talk, how we treat one another, uh, how we feel about God's children, how we um, are happy when someone else is down and rejoice when someone else is, is suffering and even maybe getting what we feel they deserve. Uh, that's not God's heart and that's not God's attitude. And, uh, and sometimes participating in it, we cut other people down with gossip and negative talk and, and lashana hurrah, uh, evil speech. We have to be uh, very careful of our tongue and what words that we speak that um, we don't go against God's character in God's heart. Verse 21, still chapter 26 of Ezekiel. I will make you a terror and you shall be no more. Though you are sought for, you will never be found again, says the Lord God. And then Ezekiel chapter 27, verse 36, <clears throat> you will become a horror and be no more forever. So two times in two chapters, you will be no more. You will be no more forever. God's pronunciation upon them. In the rest of the chapters 26 and 27, talks about their attitude and, and how Tyre and the nation uh, dealt and, 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 and was proud and lifted up and, and about their destruction and Nebuchadnezzar coming in and destroying them and other nations as well. But it culminates, it builds up to chapter 28. So now let's go to chapter 28, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, the Lord God says, because your heart is lifted up, and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you're a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. All right, so another aspect. So, so uh, Tyre laughed at Jerusalem. And another aspect of Tyre is that it's puffed up, it's lifted itself up, and it thinks itself as a God. It proclaims itself as a God. And uh, we have to be very careful about pride. Pride can easily come into our hearts and mind. And we may not go around saying, oh, I'm God, come and worship me. But any time we 
question God's word. I was talking to someone recently, and he was questioning the, the whole concept of creation. He said he believes in God, he believes in the Bible, but there are certain chapters that he just doesn't think are, are, are what is being spoken of there. And uh, we have to be very careful when we start doing that, because if we begin to correct God and correct the word of God, then we're, in a sense, making ourselves God. We would rewrite it. We're rewriting the scriptures. Now, there are some passages in the scriptures that are obviously poetic, and there are other scriptures that are obviously prophetic, and other scriptures that are obviously parables and parabolic and, 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 and symbolic. Um, but it, it's another thing for us to take texts that are pretty literal, and especially are repeated in other parts of the Bible, and say, well, that doesn't meet up with my worldview. That doesn't meet up with what I'm being taught in school. That's not being taught, meeting up with what the majority of people around me think. That doesn't make, if I, if I stand on that, then it makes me stand out as different and, and in compromise in trying to change God's word. We make ourselves a God. Or we can also make ourselves a God when we lift ourselves up and rule over others and rule others over others unnecessarily and when we're not in a position to do so and even when we're in a position to do so do, doing so in an ungodly way an unjustified way and manipulative controlling and, and a lot comes down to motive and so we can make ourselves gods without necessarily proclaiming ourselves to be god behold you are wiser than daniel there is no secret that can be hidden from you. And obviously God is being sarcastic here. You know, God has a sense of humor. A lot of people don't catch God's sense of humor in the scriptures. But God is a, you know, he's just a great God. You know, I mean, he, he's got personality. He's real. Uh, he, he describes himself in many places as being real. But here's a place where he's being sarcastic. Oh, you're a God, so you think you're wiser than Daniel. Oh, you know so much. No secret can be hidden from you. Another interesting thing is that he refers to Daniel here. This parallels the book of Daniel. And so not only do we have the book of Daniel that talks about Daniel's miraculous uh, being lifted up into positions in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, but Ezekiel confirms it by making statements like this and in other places where he talks about Daniel. And Daniel's still alive at this point. And so obviously this is after Daniel has been placed in a position, and Daniel has been proven wiser. In Daniel chapter 2, he's tested. Uh, no, actually, Daniel chapter 1, he's tested uh, to eat the king's food, and he refuses to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. And him and his friends, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, they say, no, 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 just eat it. give us fruit and vegetables and water to drink and test us for, what was it, 10 days or something like that, and they do that. And at the end of the 10 days, they come forth and are tested, and they were shown to be wiser than all the king's so-called wise men. And so now he uses this analogy. Oh, you're wiser than Daniel, who's wiser than all the king's men, all the king's wise men. So you think you're wiser, you think you're God, you think you're even wiser than Daniel. And so it's interesting also that Daniel's reputation, since he's writing this, whether it actually ever made it to Tyre, with the assumption that the prince of Tyre knows about Daniel, which again confirms Daniel's position, that it was 
a very high position in Nebuchadnezzar's court and was then known by the other nations. Or at least that's how Ezekiel is, is, uh, is, is stating it, God stating it through Ezekiel to this uh, pro prophecy concerning the prince of Tyre. Verse 4. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. So he's good at business, he's good at business dealings, he's good at making a deal, and uh, maybe wrote the art, wrote the book on, on the deal, and, uh, and he's great at that, and he's real smart, he's got a lot of wisdom, he's good at trading, but it's lifted himself up and become proud of his wisdom and the riches that he's accumulated as a result. We also have to be very careful of pride stepping in and coming in because we've made some good choices or because we've had a lot of wisdom. God's blessed us with wisdom and so we've done good in school and then done good in career and done good in business and we have financial um, accum accumulated some financial, financial riches comparatively, you know, here on this earth. And it's easy for us to get lifted up because of that. Feeling self-secure, where we always need to be dependent on God for all things. Verse 6, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. So for two reasons, because you laughed at Jerusalem, you laughed at God's people's downfall, thus you're going to come down. And secondly, because you lift yourself up as a God, I'm going to bring you down, I'm going to destroy you. Verse 8. They will throw you into the pit, and you will die the death of the slain in the seas. Will you still say to him who slays you, I am a God? You are a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. So he's going to be thrown into a pit. Revelation talks about a pit, and we'll see a little bit of that. And it says, because you make yourself a god. Not for any human to make themselves god. Now it's another thing for god to make himself a man. That's a miracle of god. For God to become Emmanuel. For God to become God with us. For him to tabernacle with us. For him to walk with us and come one with us and be one with us. That's a whole different story than a man becoming God. We don't become God. We can't become God. In this life or in any other life. But God prophesies that he would become man and dwell among us. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Lament for the king of Tyre, the Lord God says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. So it starts off on this prince and now this king of Tyre, but obviously shifts to speaking about someone whom the king of Tyre symbolizes or represents. Because the king of Tyre 
living in Daniel's day and Ezekiel's day and Nebuchadnezzar's day, obviously wasn't there in the Garden of Eden. He'd be pretty old if that was the case. But his life and what he did and how he sinned parallels, prefigures, or figures in a sense, Lucifer, who was in the Garden of Eden. And every precious stone was his covering. He was the seal of perfection and full of wisdom. Right? The king of Tyre, Prince Tyre was saying he had all wisdom, wiser than Daniel and all these things. So he's full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And this parallel now starts taking place. And so now we're going to look at Lucifer here being described, who was in the Garden of Eden. Gan Eden. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. Right? So Lucifer was created by God and the workmanship of his timbrels and pipes. And some people take this to understand that, that uh, Lucifer had a beautiful voice, was musically talented, could sing in four-part harmony all by himself <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I sing in four-part in, in disharmony. <laughs> but he could sing and was talented in that way, so he was full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, had charisma, was beautiful in his adornment, and could sing and draw people to him. And God created him that way. You are the anointed cherub who covers. Now this very well might mean that he was covering the throne of God. Because we have in the sanctuary that God designed for Moses to build, patterned after the heavenly sanctuary that Solomon then elaborates on and makes permanent in the, in the temple. That the Ark of the Covenant in the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies, would be the Ark of the Covenant with the, with the solid gold ark, or covered in gold, rather, with a mercy seat on top. And inside, the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod that budded, and a pot of manna. And on top of it, sat on the mercy seat, sat two gold angels, covering over the mercy seat with the Shekinah glory hovering above the mercy seat. Symbolic of the throne of God. And so it's described here, you were the anointed cherub who covers. So he might have been one of those cherubs, one of those angels who was standing beside the throne of God, covering over in that position. So God lifted him up to an amazing position, created him full of wisdom, full of beauty, with a beautiful voice, and placed him beside him, where he can see the inner workings of, of God and, 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 the, and the throne of God and the kingdom of God. With great influence with the angels. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. 
So he's created perfect. It says right there a few different times, you were perfect in your way. So God created him perfectly. Not with a flaw that would cause him to sin. No mistake on God's part that Lucifer sinned. Till iniquity was found in him. It wasn't God didn't create iniquity in him. He was created perfect. But iniquity developed within him because in the perfection that God created him, God created him with a wonderful gift that misused, brought about sin. God created him with a wonderful gift of free choice. The same free choice he has blessed us with. That same right that he has privileged us with. And that right is more powerful than God himself. The ability to choose God or to reject God. The ability to obey God or to disobey God. If he was not created with that gift, he would have just been a, a statue, in a sense, standing next to the throne of God that can move and be moved, mechanical arms. But no, God created him with a mind, with a heart, that was able to make decisions. And unfortunately, he made the choice to reject God. If he couldn't have the ability to reject God, he really didn't have free choice. And he really couldn't manifest love towards God. Be nothing than, other than like a tape recorder. Or a little doll with a pull string. That <laughs> I'm sure now they don't have pull strings anymore. Whatever, they got remote control and batteries. But you push a button and it says certain things whenever you tell it, whatever you want it to say. And it's got a, a list of things that it can say. Even these so-called, what do they call them, these Google things, and this, you say his name, what's the guy's, Alexis name, and all like that. It's still pre-programmed. The thing doesn't have a mind. It's given all of these answers, pre-plugged into it. It's not thinking of the answers as you're asking the question. Some humans put those answers in there. <laughs> it's still just a robot, in a sense. Still telling us back what we told it to say. But God created Lucifer with the ability to say and to sing God's praises or to turn and curse God and lie about him. And he was perfect in all his ways and we have no, long for, no idea for how long. But eventually, until iniquity was found in you by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within Hatred and jealousy, animosity, pride, violence within, competition, greed, violence within, the motives within, the feelings within, the corruption within, and then he sinned. Started in the heart. Instead of rejecting it, Resisting it, turning it over to God, he allowed it to grow, and then it manifested itself and sinned. And we can do the same. We have that same free choice. God created Adam and Eve with that same free choice. He didn't have to put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in there to give them the choice, but he did. 
so that we could choose. Because it's not really love, right? Your Alexis can't love you. <laughs> A robotic doll can't demonstrate love. plastic dog or whatever <laughs> can't show love. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroy you, O covering cherub. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. And so another aspect is trading and his abilities, again like the king of Tyre. His trading and his wisdom and his beauty and his talents became lifted up. See, sometimes we, we wonder why God created us in certain ways, but sometimes it's to keep us from getting proud, right? That's why I'm not full of wisdom. That's why I look the way I do, right? It keeps me from getting proud. It's a blessing from God. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, right? We can hold on to the things of this world and think about ourselves, mirror, mirror on the wall. Spend a whole lot of time in front of the vanity, what a funny term we call these things, you know. <laughs> Decorate ourselves. Puff ourselves up. He casts him out. I cast you out of the mountain of God. Lucifer was cast out of heaven. And we see that in Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels. So Lucifer in his position and his influence and with his beautiful voice and his beauty and his great ability to trade. He tricked one third of the angels of heaven to join forces with him. And if we think we can't be deceived, Lucifer, who sat next to the throne of God, angels in heaven, who never saw sin, who never saw death, who never saw sorrow, who never felt pain, who never experienced heartache or disappointment or hunger or loss, Nothing but joy and happiness and peace and harmony. If they can be tricked, if they could be deceived, how much more can we? We need to be on guard all the time against pride, against being lifted up, and thinking we know everything. We know more than others. We know nothing as we should know. We need to be dependent on God at all times and in everything. And be on alert against the tricks of the devil. He was able to trick one third of the angels and give us this free choice. One of the lies of the devil is that we won't, won't ever be able to make a wrong choice again, that we won't ever turn from God again. He's given us free choice. It's a free gift, and he'll never take that gift away from us for all eternity. Now, he promises us we'll never make a wrong choice again in heaven, 
that will be sinned over more again. Enmity will not raise its ugly head ever again. But it's not because it can't. Because he's allowed us to go through this long and painful process of seeing the difference between God's economy and Lucifer's. Sometimes we wonder, how could people make such choices? How could people do something like that? We wonder. It seems strange. But there's an overriding deception that has gone forth over this world. It goes forth and deceives the world, actually, I think, in the next text, right? So Satan, the great dragon, was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we have one-third of the evil angels, one-third of the, all the angels that were in heaven that became evil. They're here on earth. We don't know how many, but how number. Many numbers the scriptures give us of the unfallen angels. I'd imagine there's more evil angels on earth than there are people. And they've come down here with the express purpose to deceive. Who deceives the whole world. Sometimes we see it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any logic. A person has a nice family and a nice home and things seem okay and good and happy. Why would they make that choice? Why would that person do that? Why would they turn their back on that? Why would they do that stupid thing? It doesn't seem to make sense. Why would someone who's talented and, and has a, a, a potential, why would they choose a life of crime? Why would people make such decisions sometimes we look at? Why would someone choose this? With all the warning symbols on all the, the cigarettes, why would someone choose that? and drugs, and alcohol, and we see the, the results, and we've seen the results for, for decades, for centuries. Why would we still choose these things? How can medical professionals who see it, how can they destroy their bodies after seeing, having patients come in? Look and wonder, how can we do these things? Why do we do these things? Why do we make these choices? Sometimes it doesn't make logic. Sometimes we can wonder, why did, why did they vote for so-and-so? <laughs> why did they do that? Why did they leave that life, leave that profession, leave that whatever? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But it's part because the devil goes forth and deceives the whole world. And outside of God, we are under a deception. The whole thing is one big deception. The whole world and everything in it is one big round of ceremony. Striving and racing to climb out of the, and become on top. Only to grow old and have eventually go down. And everything be left to people we have no idea what they're going to do with. Vanity, 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 as Solomon wrote. He lives through this whole big charade, this whole big deception, this whole big lie outside of God. Without a hope of everlasting life that gives us a purpose in the here and now, we're all deceived. We think we've got to lock on everything. We think we've got to lock on the scriptures. 
And we've got to lock on everything that we know it all. That we can't be taught, that we can't learn, that we can't grow. It's all deceptions that Satan puts forth upon us. And he deceives us. We need to be on guard and stay humble before God, dependent upon him. Back to Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 18. I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Third time in three chapters. You shall be no more. Forever. Pretty clear. Three times repeating itself so that we don't miss it. It's contrary to what a lot is, what's taught in a lot of circles. That Satan is in charge of hell. That he's there stoking the flames. That he's there poking people with pitchforks into the flames. But what does it say? I brought fire from your midst, it devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. You will become a horror and shall be no more forever. Who do you think would come up with this, this doctrine, this teaching, this concept that the devil is in charge of hell? The devil himself, exactly. He reads this text, you will be no more. And what does he say? No, 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 surely I won't die. Just like he said to Adam and Eve, no, 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 you won't die. You can disobey God and still not die. No, but God's word, as it said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. He tells Lucifer, you will be no more forever. They can seek for you, they can look for you, but they will not find you. You will be ashes on the face of the earth in the before those who behold you, and you'll be no more. He's not going to live on forever. He's going to be destroyed. And he will be destroyed forever. And he will be no more. Praise the Lord. Bring it on. <laughs> and all those who've been deceived and follow with him, all the evil angels, all those who've been deceived by him and have remained in the deception under deceiving the whole entire world, all those who haven't broken forth from his deception and turned on to God and surrendered their lives to God will be destroyed with him. And so Satan goes forth deceiving by his power. Verse 24. Oh, and this, this picture here, this is California. This is just a small little snippet. Oh, man. You can't imagine the devastation. These were homes. These were city streets. These were all homes there. It's a whole subdivision. One thing you can see there is, is, is a couple cars, some trees, some remains of trees. I, I, it might be paradise. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, a couple little lakes and some blacktop and some concrete. People think hell is not so hot. But it says it's going to turn Lucifer to ashes. It's going to be hotter than this. Not just the whole house burned down to nothing. 
But the blacktop and the concrete and the trunks of the trees and the total car, metal and everything is going to be burned up and become ashes. Nothing left. God is going to so destroy and so wipe out once and for all sin and the remnant of sin. Amen. 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 I mean, I feel for these people here and now, you know, experiencing these things, but... But it will be eternal punishment. It will be eternal destruction. It will be a judgment day that will come upon. God will deal once and for all. Verse 24, still Ezekiel 28. There shall no longer be a prickling brer or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from among all those who are around them, who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord God. Right, so he shifted, he, he, Lucifer would be destroyed, never be forevermore. But to the house of Israel, there'll be no more prickling briar. briar. No more painful thorn. Right, well, where did those come about? Where did the prickly briar and the painful thorn come from? At the fall. That's right, you will have to work for the, with the threat, sweat of your brow, and the thorns and thistles will be there. He's saying here, I'm going to reverse the curse. The curse will be no more. I'm going to get rid of the curse. There'll be no more thorns. There'll be no more prickly briars. Blackberries will not have prickles on them anymore. Roses won't have thorns on them anymore. No more thorns. The curse is gone. The curse will be removed. No longer. For the house of Israel, from among all those who are around her, who've been despising us, they shall know that I am the Lord. That's what God's going to do. His deliverance upon his children. Thus says the Lord God, when I've gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they've been scattered, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will dwell in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. When we, like Jacob, wrestle with God, to gain the victory with God, to overcome with God, to be called princes and princes with God, prevailers with God, victorious, no longer deceptive. Jacob was the deceiver. Jacob was deceived and he went about deceiving and tricking his brother and manipulating and trading. And tripping up, just like the king of Tyre, just like Lucifer. But the difference is, he repented. And he wrestled with God all night long until the change took place. It takes a struggling with God, a wrestling with God to gain the victory. One of the great deceptions out there is that there is no devil. And if there is no devil, then we can't be deceived. Oh, we may theologically believe there's a devil. We may theologically believe there's evil angels in the one-third. Maybe not deny the plain scriptures regarding it, but he's somewhere else. He's bothering someone else. Oh, he's busy with the president and the leaders, and he's busy at the UN, or he's busy in some other countries where they do all kinds of weird stuff, but not here in clean America, where we got straight streets and lights at night and locks on our doors and clean clothes and 
Not here. And intellectual and schools and prosperity. That's one of his great deceptions. That he's nothing but a monster, a red monster with horns and a pointy tail. That's how he likes to masquerade and make people think, I've never seen anything like that, so he's not around here. But he deceives the whole world. And some of his deceptions is you can't overcome. And he hides and he sneaks. And if we're struggling with some sin, and maybe we've struggled for a while and have given up struggling, maybe we're no longer struggling, or we've been convicted at least some point in time in our life regarding some area of our life, and we've tried to gain the victory, we've confessed it to the Lord, and yet we've fallen into it time and time and time again, and we've given up struggling. Well, maybe the devil has a stronger hold in that area of our lives for some reason, some deception, some area, maybe from the past, maybe generational, maybe something happened. And for different people, it's for different things. For some people, they gain a victory over something that's so simple. And for others, something that's so simple can latch on so heavy and so strong that the devil will not let go. But when we don't believe there's real battle going on, that there's a real devil involved and we think it's just me and God and, and will I just try harder and maybe next time and maybe I'll get better over time. That's evolutionary thinking. I'm going to get better over time. If I just stay with it, if I just keep praying, if I just keep on reading the Bible, if I just keep on going to services, eventually it's just going to disappear and the, the, the sin, sin and temptation won't be there. No, it takes a time of wrestling like Jacob at times. Over certain sins, over certain areas of our lives. And again, for someone, it might be a big sin, for others it might be a little sin. I mean, there's no such thing really as a big sin or a little sin. Every sin caused the death of the Messiah. There's nothing little about that. Even a little sin of eating what they were told not to eat got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. There's nothing little about that punishment. Every act of disobedience is a statement that we're God, that we knew better than God. And so we are deceived, we deceive ourselves. Well, I'll just, eventually it'll just, I'll just, or at least, hey, well, at least I'm better than other people I know. Or it's just a little sin, or no one else knows about it. It's not affecting anyone else, it's just between me and God. It's probably not that big a deal anyway. God probably doesn't even really care about that thing anymore. Oh, God's loving anyway, and he's merciful, and he'll just forgive it anyway. And we get to the point where we stop even trying to gain victory over it. And we accept it. And we fall for the lie that well, everyone should just accept it. Everyone should just accept me. It's acceptable in society. Why should I stand out? Why should I stand out different? Why should I stand out peculiar? And Satan's going forth and deceiving the whole world. But no, those who will 
experience the land without the briars and without the thorns. Those who become the Israel of God, those who are the people of God, those are those who are Jacob deceives, deceivers and deceived, manipulating and convincing ourselves and tricking others who wrestle with God until they gain the victory and become princes and princes with God, prevailers and overcomers with God, and have our characters changed in every aspect of our life and throughout our lives, a continual growing process, a never plateauing, a never self-satisfied, never comparing ourselves with ourselves or comparing ourselves with others, but only comparing ourselves with God. Until we grow into the full stature that God has called for us in Yeshua the Messiah. So it takes a confessing and a forsaking of the sins. As the scriptures say, draw near to God and resist the devil and he will flee. There's a real battle that takes place. A drawing near to God in all the aspects of confession and surrender and dependency to God. And a real resisting of the devil. Not in our own power, not in our own strength, not a trying harder. But a choosing and a consistent choosing to draw near to God. A consistent choosing to reject the sin, and to reject the temptation, to reject the evil desires, and to allow God to change us in heart and mind, and in body and soul and spirit. It's the sin that begins within, it's the corruption that begins within, that brings forth sin. And God gives us victory. Now the deception is there is no victory. We're just human. God knows that. We're weak. And so this is just how we are. This is how I was born. I was born this way. This is my natural desire. This is my natural tendency. We fall for all these various lies. But God's truth is that he is victorious and he can make us victorious as well. And we can overcome as he has overcome. As he has paved the way for us. As he has come and demonstrated it for us. As he lived, so can we also live. We can have the mind of Yeshua. We can have the heart of Yeshua. We can have the life of Yeshua as we surrender all and are filled with his spirit. He goes forth, living in us and through us and for us. Becoming the Israel of God. Jews and Gentiles together, surrendered to God, born anew. All of us need to be born again. Born anew. Confessing our natures, confessing our deception, confessing our dependency on Satan and our ways we've fallen for him and become dependent on God, trusting only in him. Confessing all the ways we've become gods in our own minds, trusting in our ability to, to trade and deal in our wisdom and our beauty and our singing ability and our talking ability. Trusting in ourselves, in our skills. We can even be proud about our choices. Look, I chose God. Wasn't that good of me? I'm so great. I've chose God. 
I drew near to God. I resisted the devil. Aren't I great? We can be proud in our surrender to God. Look at how surrendered I am. Dependent on God, trusting in him for everything at all times. Receiving his love and growing in his grace. And they will dwell safely there, build houses and plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely. I will execute judgments on all those around them who despise them. And then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. How beautiful. Satan will be destroyed and we will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth created by God building houses with God's design, safe and secure, with no fear, with no worries, with no care, with no temptation and no deception, with no harm, with no hatred, with unity, fellowship, with love, harmony, and peace, in God's presence forever and ever. He'll take us into his home. Dwell safely. He's building a home for us, and we're going to build homes as well. We'll have a city home in the New Jerusalem, and we'll build homes out in the woods somewhere <laughs> and dwell safely and secure in God. Nothing is worse missing out on that. Nothing is worth trading that in. And again, any little sin is not little because it makes heaven. It's, it's traded in for heaven. That's the cost. That's how much it is. That's how big it is. Each little sin is as big as heaven because that's the trade-off. We either hold on to the sin and lose all of heaven or we let go of the sin and we gain heaven. Heaven will be worth it all. There's nothing we give up here that's worth holding on to. So we surrender in God. And then in Psalm verse 34, chapter 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear God, and he delivers them. There is victory. There is deliverance. There is power. Because the angel of the Lord encamps around about those that fear God. We don't have to fear anything else as we choose to fear God. As we surrender to him, as we reverence him, as we accept him. So yeah, there are devils out there, there's demons out there. One third of the angels. There are myriads of them out all around the world. Not only behind every rock, on top of every rock, and in front of every rock. There's demons all over the place, evil angels constantly trying to deceive us. But for every evil angel there is, there's at least two heavenly unfallen angels. And Satan does not have all power. Satan cannot know everything. Satan's not omnipresent, and God is. God is all-knowing, all-caring, all-loving. God is in all places at all times. He knows our hearts and he knows all things. 
He knows the end from the beginning. He knows today and tomorrow. He knows what's best. And so he's got Satan outnumbered all the way around in numbers and in power and ability and and skills. And the angel of the Lord will encamp around about us and deliver us from all of Satan's lies and all of Satan's deceptions and all of Satan's temptations. He will deliver us as we fear God, as we remain dependent upon God. Accepting our forgiveness through the death of the Messiah, accepting our acceptance in him because of his sacrifice for us, accepting his victory in our behalf, and accepting his Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds. Give us the, right, the ability to make right choices and to follow God, surrendering to him. And so as we prepare to pray tonight, if one, if, if you, there's an area in your life that you know you've been deceived, that Satan has deceived you, some area in your life that, that you know has been wrong, you've been struggling with, you want to re-surrender it to God and ask God to give you the strength to not let go, Right? Even Jason, J- Jacob, it wasn't until he was in a position that his hip was out of joint that he couldn't fight anymore. We give out fighting in our own strength and just cry out, God, deliver me. Two, if there's some area in your life that you've been proud and lifted up in some way, shape, or form, maybe because of some ability, maybe because of your, your, your opinion, you think you know everything. You think you know more than others. I remember when I was in college and I was working on the grounds and in the, in the, uh, on the farm, helped pay for my tuition, and uh, I was out there weeding and talking and I was grumbling complaining about some of the things on, on campus and, uh, and this older farmer with me, one of the staff, he said, so it seems like you're saying that if you were president of this institution, you would do things differently. And I said, that's right, Ivan. If I was president of this institution, there'd be a lot of things I would do differently. Here I am, a young kid with a hoe in my hand, and I know how to run a whole institution, I think. We'd be so lifted up. We think we know everything. It's so easy to second guess, so easy to, to backseat drive. when We don't have the weight of everything on us. It's so easy to sit and say the president should do this, and the mayor should do this, and the governor should do this, and... And the boss should do this, and the owner should do this, and the minister should do this, and it's so easy to sit in what they call Monday or Tuesday quarterback, right, or whatever. It's so easy to second guess. So we're proud and lifted up in any area of our life, in our thoughts and our decisions because of our beauty, because of our talents. We want to surrender that to God. The belief that we can't be deceived or we're not deceived. That we got it all together. We're full of wisdom. We know it all. We want to surrender that in a moment. We can surrender that to God. Thirdly, if there's some area where you're being harassed, some area where Satan is attacking you, some area where, like it said, uh, he will execute judgment on all those who despise you. If there's some area you're being despised, where Satan's despising you and he's harassing you mentally or 
emotionally or physically, using others or, or other means. You're going through some trial, some tri tribulation, some struggle. The devil is real and he goes forth as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You're under the lion's breath. He feels like he's pouncing upon you. The moment you want to pray, trust in the Lord and run under his arms and fear of him, fear of the Lord God, let the angel of the Lord encamp around about you and deliver you mentally and physically and spiritually and emotionally. Maybe there's some area that the devil has a lock on and you just need deliverance. Some things only come out with fasting and prayer and intercession. If that's something you need, the moment we pray, ask for God to open up the right doors and for that deliverance to take place. Maybe there's some other area in your life that God's speaking to your heart and mind about. Maybe you want to claim a hold of that place in heaven as the Israel of God, overcomers with God, a prince with God, a princess with God. Claim hold of that right to heaven because of the price that was paid by the death of Messiah. With no more briars, no more thorns, no more suffering, no more death, to be able to build the home and securely in peace under God's presence. And you can claim that because God has given it to us, accepting his sacrifice in our behalf. So if any of those areas or some other area that God's speaking to your heart and mind about, let's pray and let God do his work in us. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we thank you for your love. We're thankful, Lord, that you are almighty. Your eyes were on heaven and you cast Lucifer out. We're thankful, Lord, eventually he's going to be destroyed and destroyed forever. We're thankful, Lord, that you protect us and we're able to run on to you. We're thankful, Lord, that you've warned us about his deceptions. And we're thankful for your forgiveness and your deliverance. Thankful that we can come to you and confess to you all the areas that we've been deceived and self-deceived. We can surrender all our pride and all our arrogance and greed and selfishness. We can come to you with our troubles and our struggles. And we can come under your banner. Thank you, Lord, that you are high and lifted up. We claim the angel of the Lord to encamp around about us. Give us a holy, godly fear of you, Lord God. And surround us in your presence. And surround us with the angel of the Lord. And deliver us. Prepare us for heaven. And lift us up into heavenly places in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.